back, welcome back, welcome back, heathens. How y'all all doing today, to this afternoon, and tonight? Uh, so today, we are going to be covering chapter 37 of Genesis. Uh, this one is probably, uh, from what Dennis writes in his book, it's probably by far one of the most profound books, and from what he states, is one of the longest stories to told about one person other than Moses throughout the whole Bible. So just to recap, if you guys don't remember, uh, chapters 30, 35 through 36, in chapter 35, we learn about the heartfelt death of Rachel while giving birth to, um, to Benjamin while traveling to Bethel for Jacob. And we also learn in chapter 30, uh, we also learn about the death of his father, Isaac. Um, Jacob and Esau come back together, but then they split up again. Uh, then we learned in chapter 36 more about Esau, his family, his lineage, all the kings and chiefs that come from him. And it was a pretty monotonous book. It was well, at least chapter. It was a whole bunch of begets whole bunch of sons of and bore to and yada 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 so i didn't bore you guys other than the parts that were kind of highlighted by by dennis where he talked about uh he talked a little bit about let me see if i can remember uh about timna and a couple of uh, his other children um yeah, so today we're just gonna move on. We're gonna cover one chapter. It's uh it's a pretty it's a it's a pretty uh detailed story. If you guys haven't noticed, like once we got into Abraham, the story started becoming more detailed, more engaging uh with the characters, with their development, uh who they are as people. Uh then we started getting more information on some of their downfalls because, as Dennis says, even though the Bible is a story about the Hebrews, um, the reason why he argues that the Bible is true is because that this is one of the books that does not paint their paint their favorite characters as perfect people. They show their flaws, they show their conflicts, and all, um, even some of their shortcomings. I know I've had some issues with Jacob, who is now being called Israel. I've had some issues with him uh, throughout the story. Uh, some where he's had like some really good moments, like when he stood up to his uncle. Others when he confronts his brother Esau again uh, is where I didn't really, wasn't really on his side. But at the same time, I understand the humility that Israel had. And then my last not so favorable moment of him was when I was where I felt conflicted on his chastisement of Simeon and Levi when they went in to go get their sister Dina or Dinah and they slaughtered pretty much all the men because Shechem had raped her and his father tried to bribe Jacob excuse me for her hand in marriage so I was not I was not the biggest fan of Israel. However, my favorite part about Israel was when he was fighting with um with the angel or the 
this divine being. We we learn later that it was the divine being that named him Israel, and then we learn later that God finally stepped in and confirmed his name as Israel, which was a little bit weird because when we learned about Abraham and Sarah, God pretty much told him, "Your names are now is not is no longer Abram is no is no longer Sarah, it's now Sarah and Abraham." But in this one. In, in Jacob's case, he gets into a, a scuffle with this divine being out of nowhere. He, of course, he's injured. And the divine being tells him that because you have wrestled with both God and man, uh, you shall now be called, uh, and you have prevailed, you shall now be called Israel. And, that, and then later on, God finally confirms that you know, to, from this day forward, you are, you, your name is Israel. No longer will your name be Jacob. And I've been doing a lot of research on trying to understand uh, some of the context. I don't want to jump forward. However, in some speculation, I believe that this, like, th there have been some people who say, well, Jacob wrestled with the devil. Some say he wrestled with an angel, probably Michael or Gabriel. Uh, however, I'm going to throw my assumptions in there. I believe that Jacob actually wrestled with Yeshua Jesus. And the reason why I said Yeshua Jesus like that is because a lot of the Messianics, a lot of the Hebrew Christians or the Jews who believe that Yeshua, which is his real name, because it has meaning to it, um, not Jesus. Jesus is a is a later adaptation from the Greek to uh, to Latin uh, Yeshua. I mean, uh, no, Jesus to later Jesus because in Europe they pronounce the J's like a Y, and then of course, and for from what I've been learning through research, like his name was Jesus, and then they later added that J, and then us Americans, we had to jack it up and just call him Jesus. But uh, I, the reason why I say that is because when the angel said, or the being says, you have wrestled with both man and God, to me, I feel like that's like a, a, a hello dummy. And then Jacob asks, you know, what is his name? And he was like, he pretty much kind of like scoffed him off. <laughs> like you don't need to know yet. So that's just me. I could be wrong. I could be reading too much into it. Who knows? We'll probably end up finding out later on. But hey, cheers. As I drink my coffee from my Dragon Ball Z cup. All right. So we're going to get into this. Chapter 37, Joseph, favorite son. And then we have another uh, Hebrew term, parashat, yeshev, which means, and he settled. This is going to cover the next couple of books. Uh, the reason why I'm only covering this chapter today, it's not very long, it's kind of straightforward. But, of course, for the sake of time, I don't want to have you guys here too long. And so that way you guys can come back and hear the next chapter. Uh, but the, the next chapter completely flips on us. Uh, just to give you guys a spoiler alert. 
So in this chapter, we're going to go ahead and start reading. Now Jacob dwelled in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan. These are the genealogies of Jacob. When Joseph was 17 years old, he was a youth. He was shepherding the flocks of his brothers with his, with his sons of his father's wives, Billa and Zilpah. Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all of his sons because he was the son of his old age. So he had made him a long sleeve tunic when his brother saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers. They hated him and could not speak to him in shalom, which I put in parentheses, peace. So they... Right now, I don't have any younger siblings. I do have younger uh, cousins and stuff. It kind of sounds to me like, like Joseph was the snitch, uh, especially when they said uh, Joseph brought back a bad report about, uh, about them to their father. So that's already strike one against him uh, with his brothers. And two, no one likes being, no one likes being favored, especially children. No one likes being favored uh having someone else favored over them. I've heard the argument that you should love your children equally. However, what we've been seeing so far in Genesis, such is not the case. We've seen where, where Ishmael, who was born first, was not favored because he, his mother was Hagar. Uh, Isaac, no, not Isaac. Is it? Yeah, I, Isaac was, uh, was favored above his brother. Because that because he was the child conceived with uh with his with uh during yeah, I don't know why I'm getting so tongue tied today. He was the child conceived with Abraham's wife. Then we move on to uh to Jacob. Uh Jacob was not favored by his father, however, he was favored by his mother. Uh then we then we're seeing now after out of all these children that Jacob has has had, Joseph is the most favored, and we can kind of understand why because Jacob wanted to marry Rachel, not Leah. He wanted Rachel, and they tried so hard to have a child, which was him, which was Joseph, and they couldn't. You know, it said that God had locked up her womb, and they had to. They went to extreme measures by having uh, a surrogate. And of course, Leah had children, then her surrogate had children, so on and so forth. But Joseph was the most favored one. And Dennis writes, uh, he, he has a lot of commentary on just this entry uh, passage. Of course, I already gave you guys um, the, the cliff notes about how Joseph is probably one of the longest stories about an individual in the Bible next to Moses. Dennis also talks about how, uh, like the fact that they gave Joseph's age of 17, Dennis writes, Rachel had died and the motherless Joseph was placed in the care of his older brothers who were expected to look after him. So that's the first time we, we kind of get an inkling of that. You know, I, I would have thought that, you know, maybe, I mean, he's 17. He's kind of an adult now. 
So maybe maybe that does make sense. You know, you're 17. You need to be under the care of your brothers. Your brothers are going to show you how to be a man. They're going to show you all this other stuff, especially as we refer back to where Jacob was hurt during his fight. Jacob is injured. Like, he's he's eternally crippled, so he can't really do too much. And we, uh, and Dennis says, until now, Bill and Zelpa have been referred to as the maidservants and concubines. Now that Rachel has died, perhaps Leah as well, her death is not recorded, though Jacob alluded to it on his deathbed. Bill and Zilpa have risen in the status and are described as wives. Which is interesting. Uh, it, it was very interesting because, you know, I we kind of forgot about Leah after after her whole chapter with, you know, the discord between her and her sister. This is the first of several reasons that Joseph's brothers hated him. He was a snitch, which I said. <laughs> we do not know what he reported to his father, but his reportings antagonized them. And especially when he starts getting into, when we start getting into how much love Israel had for Joseph, uh, the, this is a second reason Joseph's brothers hated him. He was a clear fa favorite son of their father. As, as will soon become apparent, Jacob made no effort to disguise his favoritism, which is kind of bad. Given the family chaos he had uh, experienced as a result of his own father favoring his older brother Esau and his mother favoring him, one would think Jacob would have learned not to, or at least openly, favor one of his sons. But if human beings have, if human beings all learn from other mistakes, the world would be a beautiful place. Uh, one way to describe the human condition is this: people rarely learn from others' lives. We see. We seem to be programmed to learn only from our own mistakes, and even that is hardly uh, guaranteed. Learning from others' mistakes is a good definition of wisdom. Yeah. And uh, Benjamin was the child of Jacob's old age, not Joseph, but Benjamin was a young child and had properly not yet developed much of his personality more significantly, Jacob's beloved wife. Rachel died while giving birth to Benjamin. So, ir so irrational as it would have been, Jacob would have felt some ambivalence towards him. Uh, whatever reason, Joseph and ja Joseph was Jacob's favorite. This is the third reason Joseph's brothers hated him. He received a special garment as a sign of their father's love for him. The Talmud is not uh, generally critical of the patriarch's behavior, but it views this gift with much disapproval. A man should never single out one of his children for favorite treatment because of two extra coins worth of fine silk, which Jacob have Jacob gave to Joseph and not to his other sons. Joseph's brothers became jealous of him. And one of them, and one thing led to another until our ancestors became slaves in Egypt. All right. Uh, 
And then we get he gets into when family communication breaks down. See, this is why I love his book, because he he breaks them down so beautifully. So, so beautifully. All right, so one of the things that, and it's like, how do you get, like, yeah, like, Jacob should have learned from his own life not to favor one of his sons. And, of course, this, like, I don't know if you guys have ever watched the the DreamWorks movie of, of uh Joseph it was called Joseph in the in the rainbow cloak or something but they had a movie about it and they definitely highlighted his cloak uh some things were accurate of course some most was not of course it was a kids movie so they kind of left out some things but it was interesting like i can i can see how infuriating it would be to not be favored by your parents and you see your sibling being favored, and they're always getting showered with gifts, especially fine gifts, because they 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 laid out the fact that Joseph received specifically a long sleeve tunic from his father, and we never heard anything like that from you know his other children. All right. Um, then Joseph dreamed a dream, and told his brothers, and they hated him even more. <laughs> Jeez. Okay, can I catch a break? He said to them, please listen uh, to this dream I dreamed. There we were building, binding sheaves in the middle of the field. Uh, all of a sudden, my sheaves ro- arose and stood, up, and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Uh, will you truly be king over us? His brothers had said to him. Will you really rule over us? So they hated him even more because of his dream and because of his words. But then he dreamed another dream and told his brothers, saying, I have just dreamed another dream. Suddenly there was the sun and the moon and 11 stars bowed down to me. He told, uh, he told it to his father as well as his brother. Then his father rebuked him and said, what's this dream you dream? Will, will we really come? your mother and I, to your brothers, and bow down to the ground uh, to you. So his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the speech in mind. Which is interesting because his mother has long since passed. So it's, it's, a, little, it's a little interesting you know, and the fact that, and then also Jacob rebuked him. Now, maybe that could be just a translation in the book that I'm reading. Remember, I'm reading the Tree of Life version, the TLV. But let's see what Dennis has to say. The Hebrew translated here uh, as friendly is, is shalom. Uh, could literally be translated to peace. Okay, we've already passed that part. Uh, what happened to Jacob's family is one of the most destructive things that could have happened to a family. Family, mother, family members either not speaking civilly to one another, not speaking to each other at all. This breaks down the communication, enables family members to demonize one another, or is the end result of demonization, it, as in many cases of one parent alienating a child from the other parent after divorce. 
That is what enabled Joseph's brothers to contemplate murdering him or selling him into slavery without speaking a single word to him. Joseph's dreams came from God, uh, but his youthful arrogance and lack of judgment led him to brag about his dreams. Uh, Then, though Joseph uh, primarily known for being an interpreter of dreams, Pharaoh's dreams uh, being the most, which we're kind of jumping ahead, uh, being the most famous, the first two dreams were so transparent they required no explanation. The brothers immediately understood them and they and they ignited their fury. Note that the brothers did not dismiss Joseph or his dreams. They took them seriously and hated Joseph, both for having them and for boasting about them. Though Jews have never boasted about their belief uh, they are God's chosen people, there is nothing to boast about. It is not a claim of superiority. Uh, superiority, sorry, I got tongue-tied, and has led to unspeakable suffering. The brothers' reaction to Joseph foreshadows much of the world's reaction to the Jews' uh, belief in being the chosen people. The world did not dismiss the the belief with ridicule. On the contrary, they took claim seriously and hated the Jews for it. So much so that many non-Jews have sought to destroy the Jews, just as Joseph's brothers sought to destroy Joseph, either by killing him or selling him into slavery. This third time in the in the five verses, Tor mentioned the brothers' hatred for Joseph, the dreams associated with Joseph, both the two records here and the four dreams uh, he later interpreted, came in pairs. Second, reinforced the first and demonstrated their seriousness. In the ancient world, not every dream was taken as a divine message, but if a dream recurred, usually in more than one form, it was presumed to be an omen. The Talmud com- uh, comment that a dream cannot interpret is like a a dream not interpreted is like a letter not read. Like the first dream, meaning. Uh, this one was immediately apparent. The sun and the moon referred to Joseph's father and mother and the 11 stars to his brothers. Unlike his first dream, uh, which it, he related only to his brothers, Joseph shared the second dream with his father as well. Finally, Joseph became, uh, Jacob became angry with his favorite son. Perhaps he realized his favoritism has gotten out of control and he created a bit of a monster and wanted his other children to see that he too could get angry with Joseph. Or perhaps he was outraged uh, by Joseph's uh, suggestion that he, the father, would bow down to the son, uh, as we see in the next verse. And and it said, and, and, and Dennis breaks the, the chapter uh, saying, is Jacob's apparent ref, uh, reference to Joseph's dead mother a Torah inconsistency? And he writes, Jacob tried to dismiss the legitimacy of Joseph's dream as absurd. One detail might seem puzzling. Given that Joseph's mother was at this point no longer living, how could she bow down to him? One answer is that the dream, even 
uh, even God-sent dreams rarely correspond precisely to reality. Or perhaps it makes sense that in the dream was meant to show that the entire family, including uh, even their late mother, their late mother, resolved around revolved around Joseph. However, many scholars, including uh, Robert Alter, believes Joseph's reaction does constitute the Torah's inconsistencies. How could Jacob refer to your mother bowing down if she is in fact dead? In Robert Alter's words. This particular episode seems to assume in flat contradiction to proceed a, to the preceding narrative that Rachel is still alive. Uh, attempts to rescue, uh, to rescue consistency on the grounds that the dream may contain, may contain incoherent elements are, inco- are unconvincing because it is a perfectly lucid, um, is perfectly a lucid Jacob uh, who assumes here that Rachel is still alive, which is possible. Uh, the altar may be right about there being a contradiction here, uh, but I don't think so. Alter, a, a fine scholar, is a great admiration of the Torah. It, like most modern uh, secular scholars, believes the Torah is composed of documents edited much later by redactors or editors. While it would be foolish to assume that the redactors would catch and remove every possible inconsistency in the Torah, this alleged inconsistency is so glaring. A man presuming, uh, presumably referring to his dead wife as, as still alive. Uh, one simply has to wonder how an editor would let it pass. And if one assumes that the redactor edited various documents, Jacob's statement does not necessarily constitute an inconsistency. There is another explanation that makes perfect sense. Jacob may be referring to Billa, who had raised Joseph as a mother. This possibly was long ago, suggesting that Rashi and Eben Ezra and repeated in our time by Sarna. By assuming the reference is, in fact, Rachel, Rashi makes another argument that I find convincing, precisely by including the reference to his mother, who, of course, could not come and bow low to him. Jacob makes clear just how absurd Joseph's dreams was in hope that his brothers would simply dismiss it rather than envy and further hate him for it. So, I know that was a mouthful, but... And I'm kind of glad that 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 Dennis talks about the inconsistencies because, as I said, the reason why I had issues with the Bible growing up is once I discovered the knowledge that the Bible was edited, things were taken out, things, of course, things were translated. So we don't really know the true meaning of of a lot of the things because of these edits, these redactions, and all this other stuff. However, this is why I'm using the the TLV version because they are coming from the Hebrew perspective on uh, on the actual Bible, especially the New Testament. Because as we as we oftentimes forget, the disciples of Jesus were Jews for the most part, so they wrote in Hebrew. They told the stories in Hebrew, and 
I'm going to take a stab at at this inconsistency. I think I don't think the dream alludes to to Rachel being alive. I don't think it alludes to his other wives. Um, as we saw when when uh, Joseph uh, like Joseph was born and they came and they had their encounter with Esau, Rachel was still alive. So for the for the most part, Rachel was raised by his mother. So I think what I think what it means is that I think that Joseph was as as we I think Joseph was supposed to be the the next inheritor of God's um creed of God's uh promise and you know he was the he was the um the son who was brought at the perfect time. So to me, it kind of makes sense. Do we know? Of course, the son is oftentimes referred as the masculine. So we can assume that the sun is Jacob. The moon is oftentimes feminine and the, the moon oftentimes go through transitions. So it, it could have, it, it could be the fact that the, the sun and the moon always revolve around the earth, which, I mean, well, it can be perceived. Even though the earth revolves around the sun, the moon revolves around the earth, and yada, yada, yada. I don't want to get into all this astrology, but we know that through history, the sun is often masculine, the moon is often feminine. So it could mean, like, even in death, like, or maybe even the impacts that, that, these, that the sun and the moon have on Joseph. Now the stars, you know, that clearly alludes to his brothers. Uh, however, which is interesting, is that they said 11 stars. So they have not included Benjamin yet. So which would make, uh, yeah, which would make, uh, it would it be 11? I think I think so. I think I think I think that does include Benjamin. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I don't, I don't remember all the. Hold on. Let me see if I can. Let me give me one second. I'm gonna count his his children. Because of course you know Jacob's children are referred to as the twelve tribes of Israel. Uh. Let me see. So, all right. So you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. So, yeah, and it does not include Benjamin. Eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Yes, yeah, it does not include Benjamin at all, because I'm I'm looking at this at this picture right here. That they have Joseph written last, so yeah, and they don't mention. Oh, you know what? It does include Benjamin. Sorry, because the the list that I saw it it included Dinah, uh, Dina. So one, two. So you got Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Ishkar, Zebulun, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher. 
Joseph and then Benjamin. So yeah, that that would be 12. So it does include Benjamin. See? Aha! All right. <laughs> Joseph betrayed. Then his brother went to graze uh, their father's flocks in Shechem, which I don't understand why they're going back to Shechem, but okay. Um, Israel, which we'll probably end up learning more about later. Uh, Israel said to Joseph, aren't your brothers grazing their flocks in Shechem? Come, let me send you to them. And of course we get the, the Hineni, the here I am, he said to him. Then he said to him, go now and check on the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flocks and bring, and bring word back to me. So obviously Jacob trusts the word of Joseph. So he sent him uh, from the valley to, of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. A man found him there, wandering in the field, and the man asked him, who are you looking for? And he says, I'm looking for my brothers. Please tell me where they're grazing. The man said, they've moved from here. I've heard them saying, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went, to, went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now they saw him from a distance before he was close to them, and they plotted together against him in order to kill him. They said to one another, here comes the masters of dreams. Come on now, let's kill him and throw him into one of those pits so we uh, can stay, so we can say that evil animals devoured him. Then let's see what becomes of his dreams. Ooh, okay. Oh, yeah. All right, so Dennis writes, um, uh, so the Hebrew actually saying his brothers were envious of him. Envious, it, Envy is poisonous. It almost led to bad behavior. So does the anger that allowed to fester. Despite their increasing hatred, the Torah does not record the brothers expressing this hatred to Joseph. And this unexpressed anger ultimately proves more destructive than angry speech. When finally expressed, it was expressed in deed, not in words. Yeah, I see that so much today. Where people harbor so much anger inside themselves that, well, yes, they're not acting on it. Yes, you know, but it does fester. And sometimes the emotions move people to anger or to do angry things and they're no longer in control of themselves and they when they do act out they lash out hard and even myself and I'm not going to talk about anyone else myself I was definitely one of those people where I used to bottle up a lot of my own anger or my own confusion my own frustration not really so much against other people, but just, you know, in general, I, I would bottle things up until finally I couldn't contain them anymore. And then when I did lash out, I lashed out hard. And I had to learn like that wasn't really such a good thing. Now, of course, you know, I don't always express uh, my feelings or my negative feelings. Uh, as the missus will probably end up telling you on the show, I'm one of those people where if I'm going through something, I like to I like to isolate myself and deal with my own problems first. And 
because I've seen where what happens to people when they are just filled and they're constantly filling themselves up with negativity and they don't have an outlet and they don't have or they don't find a constructive outlet, they oftentimes do things that they'll later regret. And I've seen it happen to relatives. I've seen it happen to friends. Um, luckily, I've had men in my life who've kind of moved me out of that way. I've, I've, you know, I've picked up, you know, uh, stuff like this. I've picked up self help books and all types of other stuff because I just realized like that was not a, a, it's not a benefit. So why would I sit here and entertain all this anger? Of course, anger is is necessary. Anger is, anger is a good thing. Okay, why is this? Sorry, my computer just started acting up. Uh, so I mean, but. Especially like for another person, I, I I never really had anger or envy of other people. I mean, of course, I felt envious of other people, what other people did, other people better than me. But I was I never got angry about it. I mean, but we all get angry with something. I'm just saying, I'm not a perfect person. Okay, the dangers of unexpressed anger is reflected in later in the later biblical stories of Absalom. King David's son, who was enraged with uh cuz at his older brother Abnon for two years, Absalom didn't utter a word to Abnon, uh good or bad. And then when Abnon's guard was down, Absalom arranged to have him assassinated. And second Samuel thirteen, twenty-two through twenty-nine. The Torah law uh, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. Leviticus nineteen seventeen addressed this issue. When anger is kept in our hearts, it festers and becomes toxic. This does not mean uh, we should blow up at every person with whom we are angry. Uh, people who do so will end up with no friends and no love. Uh, we need to know when to express anger towards whom to express it and how. But anger should not be allowed to fester. We should either let it go or properly express it. Uh, Jacob both uh, Jacob took both Joseph's dreams and his brother's reactions to them seriously. Uh, so that kind of goes back to where he kept uh, the dreams in mind. Yeah, so as I said, like that was one of the things that I that I personally had that I personally struggled with and um in my life was just anger and frustration and learning how to deal with it, learning how to process it in the most constructive ways possible. Uh sometimes I wasn't always the best at it. So then we move on. The Hebrew once again uses the word peace in Shalom, uh which we kind of read that ours didn't. Um uh, Jacob sent Joseph to find out uh, the peace, to find out about the peace of his brothers. Since we already know the brothers could uh, could not interact with Joseph peacefully, his mission was doomed. It was unlike Joseph. It was unlike Jacob was obviously was oblivious to the tension because the brothers and Joseph, though he surmised he was unaware to just how deep. Uh, their hostility was. 
this probably was this is this is probably why he sent Joseph to check on the peace of his brothers. This is an example of something parents frequently do try to engineer their children's lives, especially to have them get along. But apparently, uh, but parental engineering uh, almost never works and has happened here. It is all too easily led to the very opposite result, greater alienation. To his credit, Joseph, the devout son, did not give up uh, when he had difficulty finding his brothers. Knowing his brothers intensely disliked him, he could have easily chosen to return home and told his father he couldn't find him, which is true. And uh, and and Dennis kind of breaks the the breaks his chapter here, where he says, "God or coincidence, faith is a choice." So Joseph did not have, uh, and this is where uh, when he said, "Let us go to to Dotham." So Joseph followed his brothers and found them in Dotham. So Joseph. Um, did not have to describe his brothers to the man as soon as Joseph explained he was looking for his brothers, the man immediately knew both uh, who and where they were. Although Joseph, unlike Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, would never be directly addressed by God and also, unlike the patriarchs, will make no sacrifices to God, God's hand was clearly involved throughout Joseph's life. And as his life progressed, Joseph would see this hand of God operating. See comments in Genesis 39, verse 8. If, if for no other reason, then there were simply too many coincidences in his life. We too have the choice to, uh, of attributing uh, for fortuitous uh, events in our lives, like Joseph's uh, meeting the stranger. To either random coincidence or to God, who life has been deeply influenced by seemingly uh, serendipitous events. Were they entirely random, like faith itself, seeing or not seeing God is a choice. Much of life is shaped by choices we make. We do not choose what happens to us. We choose how to react and to what happened to us. Since we neither prove nor disprove God's presence in our lives, whether or not we see God's hand is a decision. The same holds true uh, regarding whether a, to live a religious or secular life. And for the most part, we even choose whether or not to be happy. Uh, as Abraham Lincoln, who led his life filled with tragedy, famously said, we are as happy as we make up our... Uh, we are as happy as we make up our minds to be. Yeah. Finally, this uh, especially true with regards to faith, whether to believe is largely a choice. If we wait until another or something convinces us there is a God, we will probably wait forever. Cho choose to act happy and you will likely be happy or at least happier. Choose to live a God-centered life, and you will ultimately have faith, or at least less skeptical, which is probably where I am. As uh, Menachem uh, Mendel uh, Schernerson, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, okay, 
uh, would say, faith is like a body. It has to be fed. And then, of course, yeah, and then he talks about the plot to kill him. Uh, Joseph's brothers has plenty of reasons for ill will towards him. Uh, there's their father's obvious favoritism of him. Uh, his snitching on them to Jacob is a special gift, a tunic only to Joseph. But Joseph's dreams of superiority over his entire family and the confident and arrogant way he related them had become an overriding focus of his brother's resentment. They could not stop Jacob from loving Joseph more than the rest of them, but they could ensure Joseph's dreams never came true. Yep. All right. Yeah, and and that that you know what? And um that's a very interesting thing because whenever we talk about the patriarchs, we always hear Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and uh, those are the three main patriarchs, but then we don't really hear too much about Joseph, and of course, you know, Moses is held up there as a patriarch. And also another thing, uh, Joseph, as we've already been spoiled, Joseph goes to Egypt. I don't, Joseph never crosses over. He never goes into Canaan again. He never... He never crosses the River Jordan. He never becomes a Hebrew. It, like he is a slave forever. While Abraham and and Jacob do, Isaac never did. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm just I'm brainstorming here. So as as we're going to continue, but Reuben heard and rescued him out of their hands, saying, "We must not beat him to death." In order to rescue him from their hand and return him to his father, Reuben said to them, uh, Don't shed blood. Throw him into the pit here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. As soon as Joseph came up to his brothers, they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the long sleeve tunic that he had on. Uh, then they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty with no water in it. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Uh, let's not lay a hand on him since our brother, our own flesh. His brothers listened to him uh, when some men, uh, the Midianites, uh, the Midianite merchants passed by and they dragged Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 uh, for 20 pieces of silver, and they bought and they brought Joseph to Egypt. Then Reuben returned to put a saw that and to put in the oh, to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit. Sorry, my typos. Uh, he tore his clothes, then returned, uh, returned it to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I and I, where shall I go? So, oh, and just to backtrack. The person, they never, as Dennis said, they never talked about the person. It's kind of like a hit and run, you know, a high and by. And I can't believe I, I kind of like glossed past that. But, and I think that's where a lot of us are, where we don't really see where the hands of God is and how it's acting, how it's shaping and molding our lives. But also, we do have a choice. And that's why I said, like, I feel like that's where I am where 
I grew up, my family is, uh, both my family is traditionally Roman Catholic. I was baptized Catholic. Then my mom remarries. We become Baptist. I grew up in a Baptist church and I did not like going to church as a kid. Of course, like most children do. I did not like getting up early on a Sunday, getting dressed in a suit, sitting in, in church where I'm like, I'm bored out of my mind. None of these stories make sense. Why am I here? I see people jumping up, screaming, dancing, twirling, passing out. I don't like it. <laughs> and um, and then as, a, as I get older, I go into these youth groups. And then I, I honestly feel like that's where, that's what really shaped me and my interactions with faith and stuff. Because I saw a lot of people who were so driven by faith or religion, I should specifically say, so driven by religion that they they try to manipulate and, and control our lives, but then at the same time, they were doing the things that like they did not want us to do. You know, they they were talking about, well, don't have premarital sex, but they're they're cheating on their spouse. Don't listen to to uh to rap music, but yet they listen to rap music. And I remember and this is the one event that kind of changed me where I was like, uh-uh. I remember having a youth uh, a youth worker, and he asked us to bring in like what CDs we listen to, and of course I'm I'm a teenager I'm like 13, 14 years old I got I got NWA I got Tupac I got I got all the I got Kids Bop I got NSYNC I got a whole bunch of music and whatever else uh, in my little my back when we had like these CD books I had a giant CD book because I would listen to music with a CD player when I went to school. And I remember when this youth worker took my CDs and tried to throw them in the trash. And I was like, how fucking dare you? You're not my parent. You have no control over me. Who gives you the right to do this? And then once, once that happened, I really started looking at people differently, especially people at the church, where it's like they were so self-absorbed in their in their presumed authority that they overstepped and on top of that the person who did it was notorious uh notorious for his his infidelity against his wife and all types of other stuff so i i i de- i despised him the most and it really put left a bad taste in my mouth and where i ran away from the church on top of all the hypocrites that I saw in the, like in the church, I I ran full speed ahead, and that kind of like I, I would I say like that was God's hand. Maybe I don't know. I mean, I, of course, I don't think God ever wanted me to move away from Him. However, I think that was something that I had to go on. That was a journey, and it and I was about thirteen, fourteen when that happened. No, I was about fifteen. It was about 15 when that happened. And after that, I, I, you can say it took me about another 10 years because I went through all these transitions. Um, I became an atheist and I became a Buddhist trying to find meaning in my life. And I tried to, and I dabbled back and forth with faith. I became agnostic because at least with my military, like, and of course people like my friend Ray Delany was who tried to talk to me, I, like I knew there was a God. I could not say that there was not a God. However, where I stood with God, my relationship with God, I was unsure. You know, what, what my relationship was with him, 
And and of course, you know, other things, you know, losing family members, trying to understand life, trying to understand like uh, like why am I not happy? Why why do I not feel fulfilled and all this other stuff and something's missing. So then I started reading the Bible not for religious or spiritual means, started reading it for um reading it for for uh philosophy uh philosophy reasons. Um, you know, I started hearing people talk about, you know, of course, I, I talked about the other people, the influencers who influenced uh, that, you know, like uh, Alfonso Rachel, you know, uh, uh, Steve Crowder, uh, Dennis Prager, of course. I, like, I wasn't so interested in the religious aspect, but I was interested in the philosophies, the lessons, the teachings. And then, of course, I became more attracted to the the spirituality of it. So, I don't know if that kind of sounds off topic, but it was, I, I honestly feel like that was the hand of God trying to move me back because it was like so many things happened to where it it just felt like, like I, like it just felt like there was something at play moving me in the directions that I went. And you know, my dad also tells me, like, it's amazing how you make it through life because I've, I have terrible luck. Like, I don't have luck at anything. <laughs> anything I try to do, I'm always roadblocked. And I feel like, and it, I think someone told me, I don't remember if it was my dad or if it was someone else, like one of my mentors, but they told me the fact that you give it your all and you net with a roadblock and then you still change, you come up with another plan or at least you're able to, you don't rest on your laurels like I do think that that is something divine because every time I try to plan something in my life I try to plan it to the end my military career I wanted to do 20 years just was not in the cards for me and I tried everything that I could did not work out I tried to get into law enforcement and I lived pretty much a very clean life did not happen for me um, and then it's just every chance, everything that I did met with roadblocks. However, even though all the roadblocks that I met and every time I had to change, adapt, overcome, I always got better. Somehow I always got better. I always learned something new. I always adapted. It always benefited me. So maybe that's me going through my Joseph moment where I met with all these roadblocks. I'm being sold off into slavery because I turned away from God and stuff, but maybe that's for the better because it brought me back. And then I I got better. I like I and I'll finish that at the end of this episode, but we just want to go ahead and, and move on. Uh so they took Joseph's yeah, because we're right at the end. So they took Joseph's tunic, slaughtered a billy goat, and they dipped the tunic in blood. Then they sent out the long sleeve tunic, and it was brought to their father. And they said, "We found this. Do you recognize whether or not it is for it is your son's tunic?" Assholes. <laughs> you know, you know what it is. Um, he did recognize it and said, "My son's tunic, an evil animal, has devoured him." Joseph must been must be torn to pieces. Uh, Jacob tore his clothes and put on a sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. All his sons got up along with all his daughters and consoled him, but he refused to be comforted and said, 
for I shall go, for I will go down to Sheol to my son mourning. So his father kept weeping for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him to Egypt to Potiphar, uh, an official of Pharaoh, the commander of his bodyguards. And that's it for the chapter. So, and we got so much more to read uh, from uh, Joseph, uh, which I'm not going to take up too much of you guys' time because you guys can go buy his book. Um, now, one of the one of the things that um, all right. So when they talked about the the shedding of the blood, um, the, the they stripped the tunic. So Joseph uh, Dennis says Reuben tried to thwart the plot. Um, whether it was because he was the oldest brother, uh, he was one whom Jacob would hold most respectable for Joseph's fate. Uh, or uh, simply because he had a conscience, uh, we cannot we cannot know. The Torah makes it clear that Reuben's in, uh, intentions was to return to the pit, rescue Joseph, and send him home. Uh, like the dreams, the tunic made his brothers furious. Only now do we learn that Joseph had has the bad judgment to wear <laughs> to wear on his errand and gar uh, errand and uh, the garment that was. The extravagant token of his father's favoritism, thus he provoked his brothers to anger, and they stripped him, not part of the of their original plan. Uh, if they could not kill the dreamer, they could at least get rid of this permanent this prominent symbol, this prominent hated symbol of their father of their father's favoritism. The cruelty is also increased. Joseph is thrown naked into a pit. Uh, the in the Telushkin view, uh, there are few more damning lines in the Bible. These men have just thrown their brother into a pit where they intend to leave him until he died of hunger and thirst. The Bible emphasized that the pit had no water, uh, and they then sat down and enjoyed a meal. <laughs> yeah. Now, Judah argued on the behalf, and this is going to be important, uh, the next chapter. Now, this was Judas ar Judah arguing on the behalf of saving Joseph's life, though, he though, he suggest though his suggestion to sell him, sell Joseph into slavery hardly cast him as a in a favorable light. Indeed, the Torah later regards selling a person into slavery as a capital crime. Exodus 21.16, if Joseph was aware that this was Judah... Who suggested selling him in uh, selling him into slavery? It would make sense that decades later, uh, he could fully forgive Judah only when Judah offered to become a slave to spare Benjamin that fate. And we're also skipping ahead. Earlier, Reuben argued on the behalf of sparing Joseph. Some biblical scholars see the Torah contradictions here. First, Reuben tries to save jo uh, Joseph. And then Judah is described as trying to save Joseph's life. But uh, why assume a contradiction or two different stories? Isn't possible that Judah and Reuben, both whom may have had a conscience, at least with the regards to the ultimate sin of murdering their brother, uh, independently devises ways to save Joseph's life? All right. 
Uh, uh, Ruben returns to the pit to rescue Joseph, which see which seemed to confirm that the brothers were not the ones who sold uh, Joseph into slavery. Yeah, so Ruben's hands were kind of clean. Uh, if they did, they why would Ruben have to return to the pit? He would have known uh, he wasn't there, and he also would have known that Joseph wasn't dead. Reuben saw the pit empty and concluded that some ill fate has befallen Joseph. Perhaps he assumed Joseph was dead, even though uh, there was no body in the pit or anywhere else. Perhaps he simply did not know what to think, whether in frustration or fear uh, over how his father would react to his favorite to, to his favorite son missing or mourning over his brother's presumed death. Reuben ripped the clothes. All right. Uh, Sarna puts that puts out the irony in the brother's use of the kid's blood, which is the the billy goat, uh, to deceive their father. Uh, it was a kid that Rebecca asked Jake asked Jacob to bring her, so that he could prepare a prepare Isaac's favorite feast. And it was a kid's skin. He. Uh, she covered Jacob's arms with to deceive Isaac. Uh, his, as Jacob deceived his father with the kid, he will now be deceived by his sons using a kid. Yet another myriad instance of payback in the book of Genesis. Yep. Referring to him as your son rather than our brother, Jacob's sons did not hide their contempt for Joseph or their anger toward their father uh, over the favoritism. And so Jacob quickly moved through the three stages of escalated horror. First, he realized what he was looking at and the tunic that belonged to Joseph covered in blood. Uh, from that, he concluded Joseph had been killed. And finally, he, inf he uh, infrared Joseph's death was terror-filled and torturous. The brothers did not actually tell their father that Joseph had been devoured by a beast. Instead, they presented him with the manufactured evidence and let Jacob come to the logical but incorrect conclusion on his own. They probably prided themselves on having technically not lied to their father along similar lines. They did not actually sell their brother into slavery. They simply left him in a pit to be picked up by slave traders. Uh, their, uh, ruse, their ruse worked. Never. Uh, in his life, did Jacob hold his other sons responsible for Joseph's death? And one of the parts that I wanted to get here is, in the biblical times, Sheol was the name of a place to which it was believed people went after death. Uh, it is obviously some aspect of the afterlife, but we do not know exactly what the name signified. And... Uh, now, Joseph was ultimately sold to the highest official in the court of the Egypt of the Egyptian king, another instance uh, where one can either see great luck or the hand of God. All right, so that wraps up this chapter. We're going to pick up chapter 38, where the story completely shifts. Um, yeah, but just to get back to the hand of God uh, aspect... As I close, oftentimes we go through things 
um, where we look back and we can probably see where there was divine intervention. Um, one of the things that that I often did was I used to look back and I and I would get angry about my life because sometimes I felt like I didn't I didn't accomplish enough. And then other people have to tell me that in fact that I did. Um, sometimes I, and I'm very hard on myself as a person. You know, like I said, um, I, every time I, I make a plan, sometimes my plans never really come to fruition because I'll plan them out to the end. And something always seems to get in my way. Now, some people think that, you know, my mom has definitely told me she believes that God has had a hand in my life. Um, one of the reasons why when I went to the military, my mom was not entirely happy about it. She 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 was, but she wasn't. Of course, the mother's fear, she thought I would get hurt. And at that time, we were at war. And one of the things that that always stuck with me is I've always wanted, if I'm going to do something, I want to have something to show for it. Not for bragging rights, but just I, like I did it. Like I overcame. And I did not, I never deployed during my military career. Uh, and actually, that was one of my fears when I went through basic um, was that I was prepared to go. Uh, I have, like, I prepared my whole entire life for it. My dad was in the military. My dad had several, uh, deployments, whereas I, I don't have any. And, and I knew, and the reason why I feared it is because when I went through basic, we had just killed Bin Laden. And I had the fear that now everything that I prepared for is never going to happen. I'm never going to get deployed. Because now, and I thought the war was over, and I didn't want to just sit around and do nothing. Now, luckily, I did have a great career in the military. I learned a lot. I went to a lot of places. Um, I got to experience things that many in the military did not have. My military experience is different than a lot of the people that I talk to. Um, my mother believes that that was God's hand because she says, if I would have went over there, I could have gotten hurt. I could have gotten killed and all this other stuff. So she believes that that God had a hand in in keeping me out of harm's way. And she said that again when uh, when I tried to get into law enforcement. And talking to you know some of my own counselors about it, like that is something that does bother me because it felt like I got off too easy. Like I wanted to go through things. I wanted to struggle. I wanted to, I wanted to have my name mean something. I wanted to, I wanted to find meaning and 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 struggle and and overcome it and all this other stuff in my life. But it took a mentor to redirect my focus and show me that every time that I've done something and it has not worked out for me, I always came out better for it. Either I, like in the military, I, I went through a number of things. Uh, I've had to, I suffered a lot of losses, you know, uh, death of friends who were not in the military. I've, you know, had a strained relationship with my family, uh, death of family members, um, I I learned so much about myself uh, during that time. I grew and I had a loss of identity during that time in the military. I like I remember one of the things that I struggled with was who was I? Who am I as a person? 
Um, and now and it could have been age too. Cause I was very young. I was like in my early twenties and most of my twenties was military. And then, um, going through all these schools, failing at some of the schools, having to go back and do these schools, uh, going through a failed, uh, you know, relationship, then, uh, trying to figure out life. And now it seems like I, I, I had to work very hard to overcome a lot of that stuff. You know, going back to school, working a full-time job, going to college. And this isn't me, this is not me bragging, but going working full-time, 14, you know, 12 to 16-hour days, still managing to get a degree in 3 years. Um starting a podcast, getting married again, you know, building a life, buying a house, doing all these other things. I never saw my life going this way. And now that I'm going on this biblical journey and stuff, I'm starting to realize some of the things that I've had all along. And and I, as I'm seeing that, as I'm coming closer to God, my life is getting progressively better and I'm noticing it more versus when I did not have God in my life. I did not see it. I did not see how my life was getting better. Even though my life did get better, it took me so long to realize and to appreciate it. A lot of the things that I that I that I felt like I had or a lot of the things that were happening in my life, I did not appreciate. Like I said, I did not appreciate my military experience because I felt like I didn't have anything to show for it. I did not have any deployments and so many of my friends were like, "Yo, it's overrated." Like whether you deployed or not, you're a veteran. But I was like, eh, no, because I saw so many people who were afraid to deploy. And my thing was, well, if they're afraid, send me. I want to go. Um, that I was eager for it. Um, and but it was like not having God in my life. I it was very hard to appreciate the people in my life, the things in my life. My accomplish my accomplishments because I felt like my accomplishments weren't enough, all types of other stuff. Um, but now that I see them and thank to thank thanks to some mentors, uh, both official mentors and unofficial mentors like Alfonso Rachel, Stephen Crowder, uh, uh, Stephen Molyneux, and all this other stuff, like putting me on this intellectual path of finding meaning and understanding in my life, bringing me back to God. I I see how. Now, I have so much to be thankful for. I have a beautiful wife who is my best friend. I have a beautiful house. I have all these things that I worked so hard for that I did not even know that I was working hard for. Because again, like I said, I never saw my life going this way. If you would have asked me at 2021, 20, uh, I would have been like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to retire 20 years in the military, and I'm going to figure out my life after that. However, things came to pass, and I was forced to figure out my life at 24, which I'm kind of glad I did. Because adjusting to the world at 24, to me, perceivably, seems to be a lot easier at 24 than it is at 44, so or at 40. So uh, I think what I'm going to take away from the story of Joseph, even though... Sometimes, and I and I do realize how sometimes, in some ways, I was boastful like Joseph in my younger years, um, because I did live a privileged life. Yes, I went through things, and I and I see that sometimes you got to be taken down a few notches to really get your true blessing. 
you know, I come from a really great family. Uh, even though my family is, my family, I, I got some, I got some straight up miscreants in my family. I got, you know, I, I got family where jail is like a second home to them. I, I, you know, but I got, to, I got to see my mom rise up past that. I got to see my mom become a a very phenomenal person. I got to see my dad who became an entrepreneur. Um, so I got, I, I don't want to say that I had silver spoons in my mouth, but I did have a privileged life in comparison to some of my relatives. And, you know, I went to decent schools, you know, I never needed or wanted for anything. However, I went through my own struggles and trials and tribulations where I had to figure out my own life and my parents did not really give me anything. And I had to learn and everything that I have is on my own by the grace of God. And it just now at 30 and talking about, you know, having kids with the missus, it's like I've seen how far I've come. And I'm so thankful that I went through what I went through because now it's like I have my life on track and my life is just beginning at 30. And it's amazing. So with that, um, and I forgot to give you guys the, the promo code for Wild the Tactical, but, you know, it's the Bible series. We're not talking about that. But if you guys want to help out the show, please go to Wilder Tactical. Um, use the Edmo show code. Uh, Edmo21 to get yourself a nice discount. Please uh, do that for us. Uh, please support our friends at Wallet Tactical. Please support us because if you support them, you support us. Also, uh, make sure you guys visit us on Facebook at the Edmo Show Listener Group. And if you guys have any have any questions, please send them to the missus at the Edmo Show at gmail.com. And we are gone. Peace out, people.